My text this morning is in Luke chapter 20, verses 19 through 26. And the chief priests and the scribes that very hour sought to lay hands on him, but they feared the people, for they knew he had spoken this parable against them. So they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be righteous, that they might seize on his words in order to deliver him to the power and the authority of the governor. Then they asked him, saying, Teacher, we know that you say and teach rightly, and you do not show personal favoritism, but teach the way of God in truth. Is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But he perceived their craftiness and said to them, Why do you test me? Show me a denarius, whose image and inscription does it have? And they answered and said, Caesar's. And he said to them, Render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. But they could not catch him in his words in the presence of the people, and they marveled at his answer and kept silent. The sacrifices and ceremonies of the law were designed, as I said, to point to Christ. The feast of the Jews that was the centerpiece of all their worship was Passover. On the tenth of the month, the lamb was to be separated from the herd and watched until the fourteenth of the month. The priests were to determine whether it would be without blemish or without spot and therefore fit to be a sacrificial lamb. And so, fulfilling that on the tenth of the month, which we now call Palm Sunday, Jesus enters into Jerusalem with all the other lambs. The Lamb of God, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, enters triumphantly as a lion, but is preparing to lay down his life as the Lamb of God. But just as the Passover meal foretold, he is first examined to see if he is without blemish or without spot. He's examined in Jerusalem by the priests. They don't know it. But they are watching the Lamb of God to determine if there is anything unclean in him. And thus when they declare, and Pilate declares, we have found no sin in him, he is declared clean, and he goes to the cross for our sins. Thus they are fulfilling the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, and yet their motive is far different. They are looking for an excuse to put him to death. In Galilee, we read at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, uh, they were going to throw him off the cliff and stone him. Galilee was different than Judea. It was a different province. Galilee was the province of Herod. And thus there was a little bit of autonomy from Rome, even though Herod was a puppet, yet they could still stone people lawfully in Galilee. Not so in Judea. Judea was a province of Rome governed by the governor of Rome, who was Pontius Pilate. The death penalty, according to Pilate, could only be enforced by Rome. He took away the Sanhedrin's right uh, to put people to death. All of that, of course, was to fulfill prophecy. He would be crucified because the scripture says, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. He would be crucified so that we might know. He took away the curse that lay upon us. Hanging on a cross was a Roman method of execution not a Jewish one. The rulers of the Jews had already decided that he needed to go. There were many different reasons because there were many different political parties in Israel at the time. The only thing that they agreed on was that Jesus needed to go. 
He threw a wrench into every system they had. He disrupted the order. He healed at the wrong time, and he healed the wrong sort of people. He ate dinner with the wrong sort of people. He touched the wrong sort of people. So every sect of the Jews had their own reasons why Jesus needed to be put to death. But they all came together this Passion Week to plot Jesus' execution. The chief priests that our text is talking about would be members of the Sanhedrin. They were Sadducees, not Pharisees. And so they had their own reasons for putting Jesus to death. But only Pilate could order an execution. So they needed to do two things, the Jews. They needed something that would discredit him in front of all the people. One thing that Rome was very concerned with was law and order. If you read the history of Jerusalem during those years, you will see how quickly Pilate would squelch any sort of riots. It wouldn't be uh, uncommon for Pilate to remove everybody from power, appoint all of his own people, because Rome only cared about one thing, peace in the streets and tribute money sent to Rome. And so if the Jews didn't handle this right with Christ, if there was a riot, there would be bloodshed. And the Jews wanted to avoid that at all costs. So they wanted something that would convince the people that Jesus needed to be executed. And the second thing they needed to do was to convince Pilate to execute him. Pilate didn't care much about violating Sabbath days or questions about Jewish law, as I said. He cared a lot about order. He cared a lot about Roman law. So they needed something other than he violates the Sabbath. For if they had brought Jesus to Pilate and said, we need to put this guy to death, Pilate would say, as he did, what has he done? And they needed an answer. If they said he violates the Sabbath day, which was their real problem, Pilate would say, what would he do? What did he do on the Sabbath day? Pilate would have been very interested if Jesus caused riots, taught insurrection, or was subversive against Rome. But he was none of that. So what would they tell Pilate? He works on the Sabbath. Oh, what does he do? Um... He heals the sick, he opens the eyes of the blind, he uh, opens the ears of the deaf, he uh, causes the lame man to walk. That was something the Sanhedrin did not want to do, prove in a court of law that Jesus was the Messiah. For Isaiah 35 says, when Messiah comes, then shall the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. So they needed to be crafty. They needed to find a reason to get Pilate to crucify him without causing the crowds in Jerusalem to riot. It was the Passover week. Jerusalem was crammed full. So the chief priests, without knowing it, are examining the lamb to determine if it is without blemish or without spot. But their real reason was to find something in him that they could denounce him for in front of the people and in front of Pilate. So they used flattery. It shows how little they understood him. They pretend to be very interested in doing the right thing. And they pretend that this great teacher would give them just the advice that they need. To understand the question, it's necessary to understand a little bit about the culture of the day. 
The Romans were the hated occupiers of Judea. The Jews that lived in Jerusalem still believed that this was God's country and God's nation and God's kingdom on earth, that their land was holy. They missed all the messages of the prophets where God's glory had been removed from that land. Remember centuries before they had begged God to be treated like all the other nations and so now God is treating them like all the other nations. But to the Jews, the Romans were everything against God and the kingdom of God. They were the hated occupiers of Judea. Herod still reigned in Galilee in the north, so people paid tax to Herod there, and he sent it on to Rome. So it wasn't that big of an issue. But in Judea, it was a Roman province. So the people were required to pay directly to Rome. The tax was a denarius, a coin, equivalent to one day's wages. To most of the Jews, that law was hated. It was a mark of their occupied status. It was denial to them of their place as God's people and God's nation. And so now these crafty questioners think that they have Jesus trapped. If he says you should pay the tax, that will very quickly discredit him in front of all the people and remove that obstacle. It would cause riots. And then they could easily find a way to denounce him in front of Pilate. But if he says, don't pay the tax, then they can denounce him to Pilate as an insurrectionist and very quickly put him to death that way. So they think they have him. Jesus, of course, sees right through them. He is true God. He knows the hearts of all. He's also true man. He's a wise man with with the wisdom and knowledge of a wise man. He grew in wisdom and stature, according to Luke. It doesn't take divine revelation to see through flattery. It just takes wisdom. When they approach Jesus with those kinds of words, Jesus is rightly suspicious. We could all learn from that. It's one thing when, a people, when people appreciate you for your gifts or thank you for your service. Flattery is quite another thing. Flattery appeals to a person's pride. When you're aware of the insidiousness of your pride, then you have some defense against flattery. Jesus, of course, was without sin and he did not struggle with pride. So flattery had no effect on him. They come to him and they say, we know that you're a teacher and you teach the way of God in truth. And he could say to them, really? And where were you sitting when I was teaching? How did you apply it to your heart? I don't remember seeing you in the services last week. So what are you talking about there? The red flags go up. Jesus, being a wise man, knows human nature and he recognizes the trap. So he immediately starts by calling them on their hypocrisy. Why are you testing me? He says. And then he answers their question with a question. Show me a denarius. The denarius, as I said, was a Roman coin. It had the inscription on it, the picture stamped into it, of Caesar Tiberius. And under that description, it said, the Son of God, Caesar Tiberius, the Son of God. 
So they pull one of those coins out, which was their first mistake. Because if it isn't lawful to pay tribute, it certainly isn't lawful to carry around an idol in your pocket. It had Caesar's image on it. That was clearly a pagan view of God and the cult of the emperor. If they truly believed what they were trying to catch him on, they would have never carried around this little idol in their pocket. So by asking for the coin to be presented and they pull it out, he exposes their hypocrisy. And Jesus says, do you see the image? Look at the image. Whose image is it? And they say, oh, Caesar Tiberius. He says, yep, it belongs to Caesar. You can give it back to him without compromising any of your beliefs at all. It's just a coin. It has the imprint of Caesar on it. It belongs to him. But let's take this one step further. The leaders of the Jews were attempting to pit God against Caesar. It's the same mistake that so many in the church make today. They were in effect saying you can serve God or you can serve Caesar, but you can't do both. Teaching in effect that in order to serve God, you have to be an insurrectionist against a godless government. But that's a false dichotomy. They framed it as an either-or. Either you can serve God, or you can pay your taxes. I know a man who was a member of our church way back in the 70s that refused to pay his income tax because he believed that it was godless. And so he would not do it because it was unconstitutional. Because it was unconstitutional, therefore it was against God and God's law. So he refused to pay it. He spent some time in prison. I'm not sure if he ever changed his view on that. His excuse was the United States government of the 70s was far more godless than the Roman Empire. I don't know what you can do with that. But paying taxes isn't an either-or question. It's a question of giving honor to whom honor is due. Paul wrote in Romans 13, Render therefore to all their due. Taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Fear to whom fear is due. If you're driving 90 miles an hour in a 60 mile an hour zone and you see a policeman behind you and you fear that policeman, that's not his fault. Render him the fear because he's due that fear. Paul says, if you don't want to be afraid of the authorities, then keep the law. Pay your taxes, Paul says. If, though, while you're paying taxes, you're praying to the cult of Caesar, allowing Caesar to cause you turmoil in your soul, fretting over the future things about how the country's going to pot because of Caesar's bad decisions, living your life in restlessness, strife, and anxiety, expecting Caesar to save you from sin and the power of the devil, then you are rendering to Caesar what only belongs to God. That's the second half of Jesus' answer. God, in his complete sovereignty, has ordained civil government for good. There is not a blade of grass outside of the sovereignty of God, and he certainly directs the affairs of nations. 
And so if you follow the goodness of God, that God loves his people, and that he only acts for the good of his church and the glory of his name, then the government that God has chosen is for the good of the church, even if that government is Rome or Babylon. Because God is not out of control. Israel, as God's chosen inheritance under David, the theocracy was long gone. The book of Hosea was God's divorce decree to Israel. You are no longer my people. And it would not be restored again until Christ came and poured out his spirit, as Peter testifies in his epistle. That's another story. But God is preserving the nation. Because it was through them that Christ would come into the world and bring salvation to Jew and Gentile alike. The kingdom of God would be spread throughout the world. And the astounding thought is that God would use the Roman Empire to do that. For Rome to do that, Rome needed money. You like the roads, you like the ships, you like the trade routes, you like to keep the robbers under control, then pay your taxes. The reason that Israel was occupied by Rome wasn't an accident. The Pharisees and the Sadducees were slaughtering each other by the hundreds. And they asked Rome to keep order. Rome did, but it would cost. It drove the proud Jew crazy, but God's hand was in that as well. This was all in God's decree. The conquest of Alexander the Great spread the Greek language throughout the whole world, which would be the language of the scripture so that Paul could go and preach in Greek throughout the whole world and everyone would understand him. The conquest of Julius Caesar of the Middle East brought Roman roads and the Roman peace, the peace of Rome, where you could travel from town to town without being assaulted by robbers. The ships going from one place to another, the trade routes all over the Mesopotamia were used. Read the book of Acts. All of it was used by Paul and his friends to spread the gospel throughout the world. And if Rome used coins to fund it, give them the coins. The reason you have coins at all is because of Rome. Don't fret the taxes. Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. The coin has his image on it. But don't forget that the image of God is on man. William Barclay writes on this, The coin had Caesar's image upon it and therefore belonged to Caesar. Man has God's image on him. God created man in his own image and therefore he belongs to God. Don't get those two confused. Devotion and worship belong to God. When Caesar says the souls belong to me, then he's gone too far. The coins he can have. He cannot have your devotion and your worship. We belong to Jesus Christ. We're being conformed after his image. His image is stamped on us. To him belongs our worship. Sovereignty only belongs to God. Absolute obedience only belongs to God. But God has placed us in communities, in countries, in cities, in towns. He governs us by the hand of Caesar. Looking back 2,000 years, we see, as I've said, God's good purpose in allowing Rome to subjugate the world. If you were living under Rome, you might have a hard time seeing that. 
That's why Jesus and his apostles called us to live by faith. In ways that we don't always fathom, God is exercising judgment, righteousness, and covenant faithfulness in all the earth. He's bringing about the consummation of everything. It's a tremendous thought that God is ordaining and ordering all of nature, all the kingdoms of the world, all the forces of the universe, all the forces of the supernatural realm, the realm of angels and demons, to bring about his purposes. Worship and trust belong to him alone. The kingdom belongs to him alone. The hearts of men and women belong to him alone. Salvation belongs to him alone. But as Psalm 115 says, the earth has he given to the children of men. He governs us by communities and by nations. And he says, even if Caesar is reigning over you, pay your taxes. Render to Caesar what's due Caesar. For whether Caesar acknowledges it or not, he's governing according to the decree of God. And it is for God's good purpose. The things that God has given Caesar belongs to Caesar. Caesar is charged with public welfare. He's given the sword to punish and restrain evildoers. Caesar, and by Caesar I mean the government of every age. He builds roads, he keeps the trade routes clear, he minimizes disease, protects the borders, promotes the general welfare. And there will never come a time in history when all the people in the world will agree with how Caesar does it. And the scripture says, submit anyway. In the days of Caesar, you didn't even have the right to voice a complaint. In our day, we can peaceably petition, we can vote, but what we cannot do is take away from Caesar what belongs to Caesar. For Jesus commanded us to render to him what belongs to him. We sway from one extreme to another. On the one hand, we give to Caesar what belongs only to God. We expect him to be our savior, to bring about a righteous age, an age where there's no more sin and pride and corruption. We expect Caesar to bring about the kingdom of God, that belongs only to God. But on the other extreme, and you see this in many circles, we refuse to give Caesar anything, even those things that belong to him. We want the roads and the peace and the electricity and the public welfare, but we don't want him to take our denarius to pay for it. It doesn't work that way. And to be completely honest, there has never been in the history of the world a godly government, ever. Government is made up of sinners. Power always goes to the head. Kings always look after their own interests. Sometimes they are overzealous. Sometimes they are lazy. They are always less than perfect. Because perfection belongs to God. It doesn't belong to Caesar. The coin belongs to Caesar. God has given Caesar the right and duty to protect the welfare of the state. And there will never ever come a time when you agree with everything that Caesar does. Pray for him anyway. Submit anyway. 
one of the things that has astounded me over the past few years was in 2020 how many Christians were advocating for rebellion against the government. I didn't see that one coming. I thought that we as Christians were clear on one thing, that we were to render to Caesar what belonged to him. And we could disagree about whether the public wearing of masks was a good idea or a bad idea. I understand having that debate. What I didn't understand was categorically refusing to do it when the state clearly has the God-given right to promote the general welfare. Jesus himself commanded us, are we not to give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar? We can give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar without worshiping Caesar or even agreeing with Caesar. But God has placed the preservation of life, the general welfare, and the things that make for harmony in the hands of Caesar. So he has the right to establish speed limits, to establish building codes, tax codes, provision for the needy, social justice, working infrastructures. God has placed these things in his hand. He's given him the power to enforce the things that make for public welfare. And we can disagree with how he does it, but we cannot refuse to give him what belongs to him. This is what Peter says, 1 Peter chapter 2, Therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors or to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Those are the things that belong to Caesar. The future, our provision, the hearts of men and women, what's going to happen tomorrow, sovereignty, worship, and allegiance belong to God alone. So Jesus says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to God what is God's. The accusers could find absolutely nothing to say to that, so they were just quiet. They slunk away. They regrouped for the next round. And we'll look at that one next week. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, it takes faith and reliance on your goodness and grace to submit to the government, especially when we so strongly disagree at times with what the government is doing and yet we see your good hand in all that they do and we know that nothing takes us outside of your love so father teach us to joyfully submit even to the things we don't agree with that we might be good citizens of the kingdom of heaven in jesus name amen